We are about helping people find and follow Jesus. That is our mission. And since today is Mother's Day, if all the mothers could rise so we can acknowledge you in applause. My mom's in the front row, so she needs to stand up too. Give them a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, moms. Fair warning, today is a message that I expect frequent amens. Okay, you need to be uh, talking back to the preacher. Uh, yeah, there we go. There's one. Get them going. Um, if you have out a Bible with you, open to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 is our text for this morning. A message I'm calling Passing Down Our Faith. With that, I was doing some prep work. I came across a job posting, okay, a job description on the internet. Let me see if, you know, anywhere along the lines that this is a job that you desire, okay? Job description, long-term team player needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication, organizational skills, and be willing to work various hours, which include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnights required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and endless sporting tournaments, that's a good amen right there, in faraway cities. Travel expenses not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties also required. And under the title of responsibilities, it says, the rest of your life. Must be willing to be hated, at least temporarily, or until somebody needs a sum of money. Must be willing to bite tongue repeatedly, also must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to 60 in three seconds flat in case the screams from the backyard is not someone crying wolf. Must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, clogged toilets, and stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects, often at the last second. Uh, must be willing to be indispensable one minute and, and face embarrassment the next. Must handle the assembly of small uh, product safety testing for a half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices. Must always hope for the best, but prepared for the worst. Must assume final, complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. Under the heading of possibility for advancement and promotion, it lists virtually none. Your job is to remain the same position for years without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those that you're in charge of can ultimately surpass you. Under previous experience, it says none required. On-the-job training offered on a continual exhausting basis. Under compensation and wages, it says none in fact, you will pay to have this position. A balloon payment is due after 18 years because of the assumption that your client will go on to higher education and it will help them become financially independent. And when you die, you give the client everything you've got. Under benefits, it says while no health or dental insurance, no pension, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, no stock options are offered, this job supplies limitless opportunity for personal growth and free hugs if you play your cards right. So what job is this for? Mother, you all knew. Maybe you guys applied for that job. That is the job. Any, anybody just on board on that? Love it, yes. I heard a, a man by the name of Charlie Shedd. He is an author, and he tells a story of himself. He said, quote, 
Before we had kids, I used to travel across the country and teach a lecture I called, quote, the Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Kids, dot, 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 until I had kids. After my wife and I had our first child, I changed the title to Ten Hints for Parents. After our second child, I relabeled the lecture, A Few Tentative Suggestions for Fellow Strugglers. Charlie said, after the arrival of our third child, I gave up speaking on the topic altogether. Can anybody relate to that situation? I know I can. After the birth of our first and after he got going, I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. And after the second one came along, I'm like, I am convinced I have no clue what I'm doing whatsoever. I've heard there's two stages in parenting. Stage number one is the inadequacy stage because you don't feel adequate. Stage two, guilt. That's where you're at for the rest of parenting. Because when you first have kids, you think like you're never going to get it together. You're always searching for answers. And then after a while, you just feel guilty. Parenting's hard. Can we agree on that? That would have been a good one for an amen. Yeah, amen. How about this? I'm going to say it. Say it from the pulpit. Parenting's not for sissies. Amen. There we go. (laughs) So enough of the joking around. Let's, Let's get to a message. And hopefully this is a very encouraging message, an uplifting message. I hope this message is inspirational and educational. And I hope this is what this message is for you. I hope that we, this message can help us, show us, teach us how to pass down our faith to the next generation. I hope it helps you to raise your kids. And if you've already raised your kids, maybe help your kids raise your grandkids to live out the Christian faith. I hope that this helps you to leave a legacy. Anybody want to leave a legacy? Amen. Everyone said amen there. Okay. This is about leaving a legacy of faith. So here is the big idea. How to pass down your faith. In fact, that's largely what the book of Deuteronomy is about. So with no further ado, let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. The word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them as you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As parents, there is a number of different things we need to be giving and bringing to our our children's life if we're going to pass down our faith. Here's one thing we need to give our children. We need to give our children discipline. Another amen would have been good there, okay? When your children are young, they have lots of friends, and lots of parents wrongfully try to be their their children's friend. I'm going to encourage you not to do that. If you discipline your child properly, they will become your friend, but not until they're grown themselves. We need to give our kids patience, okay? Patience is what our kids need. It is a a mark of intelligence, and you need to expect the best. You need to look for the best, and we need to recognize that as, as parents, we're in this for the long haul. This is not just a week or two or a month or two. This is their entire childhood, maybe 18 years, sometimes longer, hopefully not. We need to be a second chance parent, okay? Isn't that what we want from God as believers? We want, our, since our God is a second, third, fourth, fifth chance God, we need to do the same with our kids. 
We need to be a parent that's able to tune into their heart. We need to be able to understand our kids and be able to know what, what makes them tick. Because if you're able to tune into what makes them tick, you're so much better equipped to affect them at who they are. We need to talk to our kids with statements instead of constantly quizzing kids. And I'm sure every parent's done this. Your kid comes home from something or maybe school and, how was your day at school? And they say, there, my, mom, my wife got it. Yeah, good. It's just one answer, one, one word answer. You can't do that. Because that's they're going to give you those one-word answers. You need to be able to have a conversation and, and spark long dialogues with your kids. Great parenting finds ways to encourage kids. Okay, so do, we don't want to be the authoritative parent. We also don't want to be the permissive parent. Okay, we in both cases that will allow kids to rebel. So we don't want to drop the hammer, but at the same time we we don't want to always be being permissible. We have to find the balance there. Because anytime a parent has rules without a relationship, it leads to rebellion. It's all about relationship. And often relationship is built with time. I mean, that's true for kids, and it's also true for pets. Do you anybody that has like the world's greatest dog? You know, yeah, yeah. That took time, right? That didn't just happen overnight. Somebody that has a great pet, a great dog, spent a lot of time with that dog. The same is true for our kids. If you want a kid that is the envy of all other parents, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. Kind of like a a, a bank account, it's tough to make a withdrawal if you're not putting in deposits, right? So if you want to be able to withdraw something from your child's life, you need to be making deposits into theirs. And usually it's in the form of time. Kids also need to know that their friends are going to change, but their family stays the same. We try to talk about this a lot to our kids. We want our kids to have friends that love Jesus and know Jesus. And we also want them to have friends that don't know Jesus. So they can be a positive influence in somebody else's life. But at the end of the day, the family is what matters. And our family is going to be there for our kids for the rest of their life, no matter what. And you know what? I think kids need to know that. And they need to know that from your heart, that, that, that you plan to be the grandparent to, to their children. Here's something else we can do for our kids. When you catch them doing something right, affirm them. You know, we live in a small town, and I've, I've told my kids very clearly, you can't get away with anything in this town without me knowing because I'm going to get a phone call. But there's times when I get them a phone call of them doing something right. There was a time I, I got a phone call of one of our children that just happened to be at Loaf and Jug and held the door open for some little old lady to go in, and I got a phone call. So you know what I did? I affirmed that child said, hey, I heard about this. I heard when you did it right. I'm proud of you. You make me proud. So affirm our kids. We need to identify our, our home as a place that, that is this where we're creating lasting memories. And so here's what I'm going to say to that. Avoid the activity trap. It is this one. I'm guilty of this. It is so easy to fall into the activity trap because our society is just go, 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 go. And if you've got kids in sports, that should have been an amen right there, okay? It's all about the sports and the next competition or the tournament or whatever. And it's about keeping up with the the Joneses. You know, it's so hard to not fall in that. But at the same time, we need to build lasting memories, And it's so easy to get just lost in the schedule of just making the next deadline with our kids. But we can't do that and just forego making lasting memories. And here's what I'll say to that. A lot of times it's done around the dinner table. 
doesn't have to be a fancy meal. It can just be a pizza, something simple. But if the conversation is very engaging around that dinner table, that is something that your kids will remember forever. But here is something every single child needs. Your kid needs it. Everybody's kid needs it. They need unconditional love. So just love them. Let, their, let them know they're loved. Tell them they're loved. And I'll say even hug them. And in the teenage years, you're probably going to get a, on a stiff arm trying to push you off, not letting you get that hug. But hug them anyways. Because when they're grown, they're going to appreciate those hugs. I appreciate my mom's hugs to this day. Here's something else. Have a yes face. Ever heard of a yes face? Because it is so easy to just have that face that says no. But if you have a, a yes face, your kids are so much likely to come to you in that time and need when they have some deep abiding question that they need an adult to give answers to. All those things I just mentioned are very important, but here is the single most important thing that you need to give to your kids if you don't take anything else away from this message. Here is what I hope you take. We need to pass down what we believe to our children, okay? We need to pass down to our kids what we believe and why we believe it. And here's what I'll say to that. Tell your story. Tell your story. Maybe when they're young, you've got to give them the PG version, but as they get older, you become more and more transparent. Here's what happened to me. Here's what I've been through, and this is why I believe what I believe. You know, this is why I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This is why I believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. Tell them. Because the single most important thing you can do is to leave a legacy of faith. Isn't that what life is all about? Life is about leaving a legacy of faith to the next generation. Okay, so what are we passing down to the next generation? So many parents are about passing down a big inheritance, or maybe they're about passing down the family business. I'll say this, there's nothing wrong with those two things. But if you're disregarding passing down your faith, then you're missing the mark as a parent. We must pass down what we believe and why we believe it if we're going to be successful at this parenting thing. The book of Deuteronomy is all about passing down our faith. And, and that, that, that text we read, Deuteronomy 6, is one of the, the greatest passages in the Old Testament. The, the, the Jews would call this the Shema. And it starts out with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does that mean, the Lord is one? Well, that means as Christians, we, we believe in a monotheistic God. That he is one God. We believe he is one God in three persons. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Co-equal in majesty, co-equal in beauty, co-eternal. That the God is one. Most major world religions are, are polytheistic, meaning they believe in many gods. Our culture may be, most of our culture, monotheistic, but they're still pluralistic. Meaning that there's many ways to God. And so there's many gods, there's many ways to God, and they'll say all ways are equal. That's what people will tell you. People will say it doesn't matter which road you're on as long as you're on a road because they all teach you, they all take you to God. And to say there's only one God and there's only one way to God, his name is Jesus. If you say that, you're going to be called names. You're going to get labeled for that. Well, let me tell you, I would rather be labeled as a narrow-minded bigot than to miss my goal, my job as a parent, to pass down my faith, my faith, my wife's faith, we're to pass that down to our children. 
And so Christians asked, they said, well, how can we pass down our faith in this, the society we live in that is polytheistic, pluralistic, postmodern? How do we pass down our faith? And that is the message for today. Read again in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. The word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Can you hear the pronouns that are used there? Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one. In order to leave a legacy of faith, it begins with you. It begins with you, okay? It must be personal. This whole passing down your faith, it begins with you. Because what did Moses tell us about our relationship with God? Moses said, the love of the Lord, your God. Can you see how it starts with you? The Bible says that the, that the heart is the core of, of who you are. And we talk about the heart as something similar. We talk about the heart as being the seat of emotion, the intellect and, and will. We say things like, I love you with all of my heart. But the Bible goes actually deeper than that. We're to love the Lord our God with the, all of our emotions and feelings, our mind, our thought life, our, our strength. Everything we've got should bring glory to God. Moses is saying, I want you to love God with every fiber of your being. To love God with our thought life. To, to love God with the very being of who you are. To say it plainly, to love God with everything you've got. You know, there was a day when Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees. And if you don't know the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the spiritual lead of the day. They, everyone thought they were the who's who of, of everything to have to do with religion. Um, if they had to fill out a W-2 form under occupation, they would have listed being good. That would have been their, their occupation. And so it was like, man, they've got it going on. They know, they know what, what, what's going on with God and how to please God. But the thing is, Jesus had beef with these guys. He had beef with these guys because they were fakes. They were phonies. I'll say this. They were spiritual liars. They were, we they were wearing a mask. They weren't real. What was real for them is they were really self-reliant. They, they were all into religion where religion says do, but Jesus comes and says done. So Jesus is questioned by one of the scribes. Maybe your Bible says lawyers. And they're, they're getting into this conversation. He wants to trap Jesus. And the, the trap question was, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? See, they thought no matter what Jesus says, they're going to point to some other law and say, well, isn't that one greater than the one you just mentioned? They really thought they had Jesus cornered. And Jesus, this is what Jesus said. He said, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus says that the first commandment is this vertical connection to God, to just be connected to God. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So that's the horizontal. You see, when you're connected with God vertically, it can't help but, but affect your horizontal connection to other people. So if you've got the first one right you're going to get the second one right, okay? Here's the truth. We're told to love others as you love yourself. The truth is we love ourselves. And if you're the one saying, ah, I don't love myself, you're probably the biggest truth lover in this whole room right now. 
Jesus says, I want you to know what God expects you. I want you to love God with everything you've got, and it's going to bleed out into other people. He says, treat other people the way you treat yourselves is what he's saying. So if you love God, you're going to love people. So it's really a two-parter. Part one, love God. And if you really get part one right, you're going to get part two right. I think that really connects us to our mission statement of this church, helping people find and follow Jesus. If you love God, you can't help but bring people to Jesus and teach people about Jesus and tell people to live their life for Jesus. Can you see how the two are connected? Keep reading. Look in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. The word of God says, And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Notice that that Moses didn't say tongue. He didn't say mouth. It's not about what you say. It's about who you are. Moses isn't playing around here. He wants this to be who you are. Why? Why is this so important to God? Let me use this illustration. Most of our kids, we got four of the five, they're all into track. I was never into track. I don't like track. In fact, I don't really enjoy going to track meets. But my kids are into it, so hey, I'm going to go and support them. One of my favorite, one of the only favorite ones I, I events I enjoy watching is the 4x100 relay. It's a pretty exciting event when you really get into it. If you don't know what that is, there's four guys, there's four gals, and their job is to run like their hair is on fire and then to take a baton and get it to the next person. And there has to be three exchanges. And you've got to just run with everything you've got. You have to run like, like, like a team, and the first team to, to finish wins. So here's the question. How do you get good? Well, you have to practice. You have to adjust your speed. You have to get the, time, the handoff timing right. You have to gel with the team. You have to communicate. You know, the people up in the stands, you can't see that there's communication going on between the runners, but they're actually talking to each other. Okay? And you have to be intentional. You have to shove that baton into the next runner's hand. You have to get it there. And then also, you're only given so much space or so much time, if you will, to exchange that baton or you're disqualified. And if you drop the baton, well, then you're going to lose valuable seconds. And, and then you're going to have to find the baton, pick it up, and begin running. You see, if you don't think through every aspect of the race, you're going to lose. You have to be intentional with the handoff. So here's my question to you, church. What are you handing off to the next generation? Are you intentional about handing off your faith? Because think about it. We're intentional, uh, intentional about our education, right? We make sure our kids get good grades, and we're making sure they turn their assignment. We're intentional about that. We're intentional about finances, teaching about money. We're intentional about sports. Holy cow, it seems like our world is revolving around kids' sports. We're intentional about that. We're intentional about character. We're intentional about health. But are we intentional about passing down our faith? Parents, we must be intentional about handing down the baton of faith to our children. Because if you do that, if you are intentional about it, well, then they should be intentional about handing off the baton of faith to your grandchildren. Because in a relay race, it's all about handing off the baton. And every single aspect of the race has to be thought thought through. Are we intentional about handing the baton of faith to our children? Because think about this. If you're intentional about handing the baton of faith, you can literally change a generation. There can be a generational effect that we can change the world if we pass down our faith to our kids. Because then they'll pass it down to your grandkids. 
Here's point number two for us this morning. Point number two, legacy. You can't hand off what you don't have. Moms and dads, I know this is Mother's Day, but I'm speaking to all the parents of the room. You can't hand off what you don't have. You must first choose Jesus by faith, and then you must choose to follow him. Because here's the deal. If you don't, your kids won't. If you're on the fence about whether you're going to follow Jesus or not, then at best your kids will be on, on the fence. Most likely, they'll want nothing to do with Jesus at all. We, must, we want to leave a legacy of faith, right? You can't hand off the baton of faith unless you have the baton of faith. Abraham Lincoln said, that, said, you can fool all the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Here's what I'm going to add to that. You can't fool your kids. You can't fool your kids. Your kids know who you are at your core. They know if you really love Jesus or not. The old do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work with kids. I remember growing up, one of my my friend's dads was telling him not to smoke or drink because he had a scotch in his hand and a cigarette in the other. I was like, a little hypocritical. Yeah. We can't be hypocrites with our kids. You know why? Because they know who you are. They know what's in your hand. Why? Because they're looking in your hands. They're watching every single move that you make. And so Moses instructs us to pass down two things. One, a knowledge of God, and two, a love for God. That's what we're to pass down. We're to pass on what God is like, and we're to pass on a love and a passion for God. And so I'm going to step on some toes here. Here we go. You can't expect your kids to love church if you don't love church. You can't expect your children to attend church if you rarely do. You can't expect, expect your kids to be loving church and serving church in the local church if you don't. You can't expect your kids to have a deep, abiding, real sense, love for God if you don't. Because legacies are not formed by words. They're formed by actions. And actions come from your heart. Because what's real is transferable. And it's transferable from your heart to their heart. There's a motivational speaker from way back when, not all that long, but his name was Zig Ziglar. And here's what he said. Quote, children watch what you do more than what you say. Someone has rightly said, attitudes are more caught than they are taught. So here's the deal. We can teach all day. We can use words, 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 and just use lots of words to teach. But if our actions are not matching up with our words, then they're not going to be catching something. So if they're catching something rather than what you're teaching, it's because your doing doesn't match your words. Here's what you do then. Change your actions. Change your actions. If, if loving Jesus and serving Jesus is the goal, then your kids need to see you do that. Keep reading. Look in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. The word of God says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Here's point number three for us this morning. In order to leave a legacy of faith, it involves teaching. Parents, we have a God-given privilege, a responsibility to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers. Why do I say it's a privilege? Because according to the Bible, children are a gift from God. 
I know it doesn't always feel like that, but according to God's word, and God's always right there, a gift from God. So here's, parents, here's something we need to know. We don't own our kids. They're on loan to us. So we are stewards, stewards of our children. God says, I want you to be a steward. I want you to be a manager. I want you to love that kid the way I love you. And it's a huge responsibility to raise a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. There was a, a survey long ago, a number of years ago, uh, from England. And it said in 2006, okay, 2006, only 35% of adults believed in God. That same year, 22% of teens believed in God. If you back up to 1950, over 40% of the population in England went to church. Fast forward to 2006, only 3% claim to attend, attend, attend any church. You see, what happens is one generation is half-hearted, the next generation will be no-hearted. If we don't love Jesus, the generation coming behind won't. And so often I, I could hear Christians saying, it's not going to happen here, it's not going to happen to us, it's not going to happen to Crosspoint. Let me tell you, it happened to Israel, didn't it? If it happened to God's chosen people, don't think it can't happen to us. In the Old Testament, there was Moses. Moses handed the baton of faith to Joshua. Joshua was a mighty man of God. He was put in charge. But the Bible said he died and then something tragic happened. Read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there rose another generation, listen to this, after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know. They didn't know everything God had done. How could you not pass on the great things? Verse 11. And the people of Israel did was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Verse 12. This is one of the saddest texts anywhere in the Bible. Verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord. And the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So here's what happened. Joshua's generation dropped the baton, didn't pass on the baton of faith. They didn't know the, the works that Israel had done from. They didn't tell the kids about how Moses went to Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world at the time, said, let my people go. And they didn't know about the parting of the Red Sea. They didn't know how Israel walked across on dry land. They didn't know how, how the, the Red Sea closed up over the Egyptians and saved them. They didn't know about the pillow of fire during the night and the cloud of smoke during the day that, that led Israel through the wilderness. They didn't know about the manna. They didn't know all the mighty works that God had done. So what happened? Instead of loving God, they committed idolatry. They worshiped false gods. They did unspeakable acts and they abandoned God. Here's the point. Joshua's generation didn't pass down their faith. We must be passing down our faith to our kids and to our grandkids. Let's be honest here. Here at this church, we, there's, there's, some, there's a lot of people that are serving, that are pouring into to our kids, but really the list is not that long. If you're pouring into our kids, God bless you. I know who you are. Lord knows who you are. But here's the truth. We need more. So if you're not serving, if you're not teaching, if you're not passing on the baton of faith, then Why? Why? Everything we do here, this is what we should think. Think about this. How is this going to affect the next generation? 
Here's what we don't, don't think this, because so often people think, well, this is best for me, and this is what I like, this is what I think we should do, because it will be positive for me. Don't do that. Instead, think, what is the best for the generation coming behind me? Because we need to be investing in the next generation, or this church is only one generation from death. Read in Psalms 145, verse 4. The word of God says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Can you hear it? Verse five, and on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous work, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Can you hear talking about an awesome God and how awesome he is and all these awesome things he does? And I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. And they shall sing aloud. That sounds like loud worship to me right there. Sing aloud of your righteousness. Here's the question. Are you doing that? Plain and simple. Are you doing that? Are you doing those things to the next generation? Because this passage in Psalms speaks of a generational impact. Are we praising God and declaring his mighty acts to our youth? Are we speaking about the might and awesomeness deeds to our youth? Are we declaring God's great awesomeness to our youth? Are we pouring forth the fame of God's goodness to our youth? Are we singing aloud of his righteousness to our youth? This church must make a huge investment to the next generation. And it's not one time. We just, oh, we did that that one time. Now we're good. No, we have to be doing it all the time. That's a word to the church. Now let's get back to the parents. Here's some good advice for parents. It's all about the ABCs. ABCs, adults, Bibles, church. Got that? Kids need an adult that's willing to invest in them. Kids need a Bible in their hand, and they need an adult that's willing to to share it with them, and they need a church. They need a church that's willing to show them what this looks like. Because it's one thing just memorize text and, and have these scriptures memorized. But a child and a teen, they need to see this thing lived out. Because when tragedy comes into your life where you say, I'm going to follow the God that I know is real. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Kids need to see that. They need an adult in their life that will live this thing out for them. Please hear me. And this is very, very important. Okay, Cross Point Baptist, we've got structures, we've got staffs, we've got program, but a church should never replace the family. A family has a, has a child for roughly 3,000 hours a year. A church, maybe 40 to 80 hours. Think about this, from the time a baby is born until they hopefully leave, go to college, go to somewhere else, you got 936 weeks. 936 weeks to pour into that child so to be equipped to, to, pour, to pour into somebody else. There was a research done by Barna Research Group. If you don't know them, they're the ones that come up with all the statistics. They state that 85% of parents believe they are primarily responsible for their children's spiritual v- development. But hear this. Even though they won't take their kids to church or even allow their, their kids to go with, with friends. of unchurched people believe it's their responsibility. So who's responsible for laying the spiritual foundation to the youth? The truth is, mom and dad are. Okay, But a church is to partner with the family. 
The church exists to help build the faith to the next generation, but a church can never be the end all be all if the family's not willing to leave this out, live this out at home. A family is primarily responsible to instill godly values and teach biblical principles to their children. But yet the church, we're here to support you. We're here to reinforce what you're teaching at home. So parents, hear me out on this. You're in the frontline ministry for your kids. You're in the trenches. You're like, it's like you're grinding it out. You're investing in your kids. So you must be teaching and modeling these values that you want your kids to live by. Parents, you are the single greatest influence to influence your children, to shape them to love Jesus. Leaving a legacy involves teaching. There in verse 7, Moses used the word diligently. Okay, It, it means to prick or to pierce. Here's the picture Moses is trying to get across. Picture a chisel and a hammer. It's somebody going, trying to chisel a great monument, something like Crazy Horse over in South Dakota. That's what we're doing to our kids. We're trying to chisel out the bad qualities. We're trying to chisel in the good qualities, right? That's what parenting is. It's long, it's slow, it's, it's arduous. But by God's grace, you'll be chiseling those good characters. You'll be trying to chisel in a knowledge of God. Try and chisel out those rough edges. You know any kids that have rough edges? Don't answer that one. They probably got it from you. That's right. But here's the point. We need to be making an indelible mark on our children that's going to rest the rest of their lives. And you have to be intentional. Because it won't just happen on its own. In fact, the opposite is true. It, it seems like these, these edges get rougher over time if you're not intentional about smoothing them out. True for our kids, but the truth is it's true for us as well. So here's the question. How can we be intentional? How can we be intentional? What does this look like? Start with prayer. We need to pray for our kids. Also do this, pray with your kids. Let them hear you pray for them. Pray for their future mates. Pray that God's gonna bring a godly guy, a godly gal into their life. Pray for their character. Pray for their conduct. Here, read the Bible to your kids. Remember growing up as our kids were little, reading reading a lot of Bible stories to them, loved it. How about this? Take them to church. Take them to church. There should never be a question whether or not they're going to church on Sundays, right? And today is Mother's Day. And if you had a mom that drug you to church on Sunday, God bless you because you had a mom that wanted to instill that to you. Okay? Have your children serve at church with you. Get involved in church and then have your kids see you serving and let them see you um, living this out and then model those same things at home. But here's a motto for the parents. It's not for the weak. It's not. Parenting requires long hours. Or should I better say, say long days? But in the end, it's worth it. Being a mom, being a dad, it's hard work at times. And it's also unappreciated at times. But here's, the, here's, the, here's my word of encouragement. Don't stop. Don't come down off that wall. Stay on that. God's got you there. Don't come down. It makes me think of in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. He was called by God to rebuild the wall. And so there's a time where Nehemiah's got a trowel in one hand and a sword in another. And there's these guys trying to distract him, say, come down off that wall. And he said, no, I've got an important job to do for God. I'm not coming off that wall. Mom, dad, stay on that wall. Don't give up. Don't come down. Don't stop. You're doing a great work. 
Deuteronomy 6 tells us that the home is the launching pad to send out disciples for Jesus. Your home is not to be a show place. It's a training ground. So here's the question. Is your home a training ground? Read verse 7 again. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Here's my fourth and last point for us this morning. Point number four. In order to leave a legacy of faith, it involves time. Can we all say parenting takes a lot of time? Again, don't stop. James Dobson said this. He said, quote, a heritage is what you give to someone. A legacy is what you do in someone. Every single person wants to make their life count. Who wants their life to count? Hands? Half of you? Okay. <laughs> the rest of you raise your hand. We all want our life to count, right? Because, because deep down, every single one of us, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So the question, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I be a part? How do I, I do what we're talking about here? Here's the answer. Invest in heaven. Very simple, invest in heaven. You know what I think Jesus tells us how to do that? Read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure in earth where moss and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Time out, isn't that the opposite of the world, what the world teaches? World teach, what, get what you can now, make it, save it. You know, it's all about today. That's the opposite of what Jesus says. Verse 20, Jesus says, but... Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Lay up. Store up. Really the word means hoard. Jesus is teaching us to hoard. Hoard treasures in heaven is what he's saying. Here's what you do. Invest in the eternal. Invest in the eternal and the spiritual, not the temporal, not the material. Invest in things that are going to heaven. Well, what's going to heaven? Answer, souls of people. That's what's going to heaven, the souls of people. So if you want your life to be significant, invest in other people. Specifically the youth, right? Tim Tebow said this, he said, quote, you can be successful or you can be significant. Success is what is about what, what about you do. Significance is what about what you do for other people. So here's what I'm going to say, parents. Invest in your kids. Invest in kids that aren't even your kids. Invest in somebody else's kids. So if you want to have a significant life, invest in a generation that's coming behind you. Because there are three things that are eternal. That is the creator God, the word of God, and the souls of people. That's what's going to last forever. If you want to pass down your faith, if you want to leave a legacy, it's going to require time. This passage we're talking here is it's talking about talking. It's, it, it's teaching. It's, it's going from the formal to the casual. And there's a need for all of this. Moses says when you sit in your house, when you walk by your way, that's talking about activity. It's when you lie down, when you rise. And that's talking about time. So here's the point. How do we do this? Here's the answer. Capitalize on the ordinariness, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now, ordinariness of each day to share spiritual things with your kids. 
Just make it a way of life. When you're running errands, talk about Jesus. When you're working in the yard, talk about Jesus. When you're doing chores, talk about Jesus. Somebody rightfully said, it's not quality or quantity of time that, you're, that you need as a family. It's a quantity of quality time. Parenting is really a partnership with the Lord. So our job, your job, my job is to reshape the next generation to live for Jesus. That's what the Apostle John said in his third epistle. Read in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. John just wants to teach people about Jesus and see them live for Jesus. Our goal as parents is to raise them to know the Lord, then release them. I'll say, I don't know that releasing part yet. I haven't got to that phase. I know it's coming, but that should be my goal. Raise them to release them. And then your reward, if you're, the reason you're pouring into them is so then they will pour into someone else. And maybe at the end, maybe even you'll get a thank you. Thank you for being a great mom. Thank you for being a great dad. That's the reason we are here. Point it to the next generation. Share the gospel message with those that don't know so that they will tell with those they will come to know. That's how I'm gonna conclude this service. That if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you to do it now. See, there must come this time where you recognize there is a God and he desperately loves you, but we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that is called sin and that separates us from God. And we all, turn, all earn eternal separation from him because of that. But God loves you, and he sent Jesus to pay the price on that cross. Jesus died for what you have done and I have done. And the Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Never called on Jesus to save you. For most, it's a simple prayer. It could be as simple as, save me. Save me, God. I'm a sinner. I want to give you my life. I pray this name of Jesus Christ. Amen.